Sometimes we need a little inspiration, and Real Things Living podcast does just that. Real Things Living has a focus on resilience and connection with others. Those connections lead to ideas, to solutions, and to better overall health. This podcast is brought to you by Gemini Media. Gemini Media delivers the best solutions for business communications through collaborative relationships. Hi, y'all. It's Bridget Cutshaw with Real Things Living. Today, my guest is George Schnitzer. He is a publisher. He's with Premium Press America. I've known George for a really long time. We worked together on a lot of long projects over the years. George, can you introduce yourself? Yes, George Snitzer. I'm publisher for owner, uh, co-owner of Premium Press America with my dear wife. We've been in business about 35 years. Started off uh, actually promoting books for authors and other publishers, and uh, had um, I must say, in all modesty, our first effort was just uh, a, a major, major success. And all of a sudden, uh, we had what was we considered a marketing company. We didn't care what the widget was. The first happened to be a book, and it was very, very successful. And all of a sudden, we were book promoters. People were sending us manuscripts from all over the country. And uh, we did that for about eight years. And that was kind of all of a sudden, right? You kind of had a, along the years, over the years, you've had to tweak what you're offering. It's based, based on what people are wanting and what your clients are needing, right? Yes, yes. Um, we, the first book we ever did was a diet book. And uh, uh, my friends and associates used to tease me saying, you know, another diet book? How many diet books can you sell? And I said, <laughs> You know what? They all sell. We're all trying to figure out how to lose weight. And we ended up doing three diet books in the world in a row, and they all ended up number one New York Times bestsellers. And uh, the spinoff books and calorie counters and fat gram counters and everything else uh, also did equally well. And uh, then a gentleman by the name of Art Linkletter came along and we did a book for him called old age is not for sissies and uh one of the things that distinguished us back then is when we did book marketing we never had any budgets to uh put together marketing programs so we created um avenues that we could license and the licensing fees would generate profits as well as cover expenses. So, for example, with the diet books, we went into grocery stores and set up weight loss centers and and um, distributed information and sold books at these centers. Um, we did first one with Kroger's, and then eventually we did it with 40-something uh, grocery store chains across America. And then we did another one um, co-sponsored with uh, Family Circle Magazine in five issues in a row. And um, 
that was equally successful. Those authors went on to sell over 20 different titles and various aspects of of dieting and weight loss and, you know, how to diet for diabetes or cancer or, you know, heart healthy and so on and so forth. But their visibility allowed them to do that. And, um, and with Art Link Letters, we, we, uh, we took our successful model thinking we were going to go back into pharmacies. And um, so we had gained the reputation of, of generating customer flow in, in grocery stores. So we just thought pharmacies would be great. And Art Linkletter, you know, he was known to all the seniors. So we flew to Chicago to present our uh, idea. And we were first things out of their mouth was, "Welcome, George. I hope you have another plan for us." And I said, "I do." And this is a way to get because in those days they had, well, they were had pharmacies linked to grocery stores. Right. So we said, um, <laughs> we said, "Yeah, we have a way to get more seniors in your in in your pharmacies." And they closed our presentation booklets and. Curtis slid them back to me and said, we're not interested. <laughs> Last thing we want in our store is another senior with his insurance papers and his discount oh cards. God. And he said, go home and work on a promotion that will bring us a young girl buying cosmetics and feminine products and um, birth control and things that they're going to buy every month. And we said, okay, and we revamped the, the link letter project and went into to, uh, malls and found multiple malls because there, there was things, what do you do with your house when you, you know, after you retire and what special banking needs do you need? And um, we found all of these potential sponsors within malls and put it on in about 20 malls and it was a great success. Well, Plus you, the charm of Mr. Linkletter. Right. Well, you've been involved in so many things now. Like you said, Premium Press has been around for 35 years, right? And yep. you are based in the Nashville area. And, yes. And it's a lot has changed just in general since we've known each other in the industry. And it's constant adapting. That's how I see it, right? And constant um, technology change as well. So how has have how do you see this affecting publishing now? And I'm just curious what you, cause you've been involved with it. You've adapted yourself quite a bit. You definitely have a lot of resilience cause you're still with it. <laughs> you're still in the, <laughs> in the game. Right. And so yeah. how do you see it, you know, based on your experience and, 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 and stuff, what do you, how do you see the future going to be? Well, it's, it's very different. I, I can tell you that, for example, the first project we ever did was the rotation diet, where we had the grocery store chain sponsors and we got media sponsors and so on and so forth. And uh, well, here in in Nashville or in Middle Tennessee, we had 23 participating stores, um, the city newspapers, the weekly newspapers, the YMCA, the, the radio uh, stations all were in partner 
and uh, this and and television. The support was unbelievable. Uh, we couldn't do that today, right? Because now the radio stations, for the most part, are syndicated shows. So there's no way to host your author to talk about your your, your project. The television stations. Um, they're hurting for money so bad they most of their stuff is paid they don't have the the noon shows and the other kinds of talk shows that that they uh allowed for in the past and newspapers just the the we had at the time the Nashville Banner and the Nashville Tennessean both of which had book review sections and living sections um and the rotation diet we had Tennessean they covered it on the food page. They covered it on the um, lifestyles page. Uh, restaurant associations had meals, you know, within the restaurants. They were always uh, promoting their themselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we just had news features, what was going on every week. Right now, they don't even have a living section. They don't have a book review section anymore. Well, they, they do have, in Atlanta. <laughs> They do. Yeah. Um, Maybe no so long it's going to last, but I think that's why podcasting, like what I'm doing is. It's it's essential. Social media is the way to go. Um, What we are currently doing and we're doing up until everything stopped with COVID, we try to find books that have a, a, a connection a, a nationwide connection. For example, we released uh, a book called Quotes from the Summit, and uh, they were about the iconic UT uh, basketball, women's basketball coach, Pat Summit. And we had unreleased photographs and quotes about her, and it was kicking off on ESPN, and uh, which was going to be a heck of a lot in March Madness. But guess what? That was canceled. And, right. But it, um, it did come out last year, 2019, right? Then it, it came out in 2000, but there there were some issues that had nothing to do with the book. And it, it was um, part of a program called the Pat Summit Leadership Group. And just as we were about to kick off on ESPN last year, um, the company that was created out of the blue was purchased by Southwestern Publishing. Oh, okay. Right. And while all those negotiations and everything were going on, everything was put on hold. So we were trying to pick up where we left off a year later. And then COVID put us on hold again. But right. as of last week, everybody's still excited about the book and, for all intents and purposes, it's brand new, and uh, and we're excited because she has such a following within within the basketball community for sure, but also the corporate community. She was a, a kind of a pioneer for women's rights and uh, leadership development and, and self-esteem issues 20, 25 years ago, and um, has did a lot of corporate speaking and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of potential sponsors out there. She's done work for in the past. So 
She and a lot of the pro players are supporting it. She was a great role model. I just remember like, wow, she's a female, you know, coach at a uni big university. That's what I remember growing up in the South. Uh, she, well, she was so intense uh -huh. uh, on the college level. And she started at UT when she was 22. Wow. And they said, here's your locker, locker room. And you better take this, this pail and mop because you're the new head coach, but you also have to clean the locker room. And by the way, you're going to wash the uniforms. Oh, my Lord. And she went from there to the only woman in history that played and coached an Olympic uh, team, basketball right. team. I forgot. Eight national that. championships. Um, won virtually every award there is to win in basketball or received it and was a Freedom Medal winner, uh, award recipient. So it, it, she's done it all. It's just squeaky clean and nice as could be. And, um, um, and wrote prolifically, kept notes on everything. So to put together the book was really quite, quite an adventure. We were given 50,000 photographs by the University of Tennessee to wade through. Wow. And she, she kept journals and, and cards. So she kept pack of cards with her. And at the end of every practice, she would say, you know, she'd pull out the Candace Parker card and said, today, Candace, you know, Stribble was great or long shot needs a little help or whatever. And she would make notes on every player, on every team that she ever coached, going back to AAU and so on. And she kept all of those cards in in files in her in her basement. Wow. It's amazing what what she did. Well, I think it's amazing that you got involved in this project to begin with because you were recommended, correct, by the chance. Yes. That's that to me is shows you that you've got a good, you know, reputation in the state of Tennessee, which, which helps to get new projects. Um, oh, absolutely. Right. It, it, what do you think is the biggest lesson that you've learned? Well, before I finish that question, during the beginning of COVID, you know, you said that, you know, we couldn't do a whole lot of stuff with this book, but at the same time, didn't you have like some damage to your your house, I mean, like some crazy stuff happened. Um, from some like oh yeah, tornado. Yeah, we had bizarre. eighty mile an hour wind shear um, in the first of May. Um, we live in a very wooded neighborhood, and um, according to our neighbors, we got the gold medal for most damage on the street. <laughs> we lost um, seven very large trees. Sorry, I'm laughing. I mean, five are, were over 100 feet tall. Oh my God. Uh, one was, our deck was built around one. It's, but our deck did get repaired last week, finally. <laughs> they brought in a crane to lift it off uh, an elm tree, about a 100-year-old elm tree. And, uh, but the crane was so big, we had a 40-foot one foot deep gouge in our driveway that was repaired uh, Friday 
and uh, they got to come up and, do, and come back and do some other things. But we didn't have a phone for two weeks, and, and they finally got electric on after about a week. But then the phone company would come in and hang wires, and the electric company would come back and snip those out to put theirs up. And that went on for about another week before the neighbors just went out and said, stop it. <laughs> get the dang thing right. going and uh but we and we've had problems since then because so many our neighbor across the street had the same kind of damage in between our trees and his trees we took down a couple telephone poles and trans transformers wow. and wow yeah it was interesting to say I remember the least. hearing about that and we when you eventually had phone service we to catch up but you're, I mean, you're, unfortunately um, you didn't have electricity, but your house was a damage, just a deck, right? So that. You're right, right. Some very superficial. Right. Um, gutter damage, but, but that was it. I, it's still amazing that you have um, survived. I mean, I mean, that's freaky. And you're, like you said, very lucky that it was superficial. I mean, you know, if you think about it. And, and all this stuff was going on, right, with COVID. We, none of us really knew at the time what was going to be happening to us. And then you <laughs> get slapped in the face. Um, exactly. I, I have to laugh about it now. I mean, I know it's not funny, but it, it's just absurd. And I think that's what life is sometimes, absurd. And, and again, you, you've, I've known you for a long time. You've had to deal with a lot of interesting things. And the Pat Summit thing is a really fantastic opportunity and is there a way you mentioned that you could possibly, I think you mentioned to customize these kind of things in the past. I wasn't sure if that something could be. A yes. And I, I was going to say, we were also coming, we've had the best starting the best year we've had in, in a long time. <laughs> but one of the reasons for that is we, we did a uh, fire uh, safety book. Oh yeah. Called, I can't save you, but I'll die trying. And it's the author's a, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Burke Clark, who I pre-publishing was was in the fire service, and uh, was an adjunct fa faculty at the National Fire Academy, and knew Burt from there. He actually invited me, uh, but I knew him before then. Also, we kind of grew up together in the same neighborhood but um he uh i i was nagging him for years to do a book for me and finally uh and i say years i mean like 20 years one day i get a phone call i said i'm retired i'm ready to do the book so uh he is well published author he had over 200 articles over the years so we selected 44 of the best wow there and the kind of the central theme of the book is um, firefighters get a lot of acclaim, and and it's well deserved. But firefighters kind of get addicted to that too. They they it's kind of like believing your own news release. And and um, so when the fire happens, they really want to get in there and they want to uh, try to save somebody and and uh, get the fire out and, and all the things that you think of that they're supposed to be doing. Right. But if you look at the reality of fires, especially home fires, 
about 90% of the people have already died before the alarm even goes off. So you have firefighters jumping on fire trucks, speeding to get to the fire. They don't put their seatbelts on. They don't get the proper equipment. They don't check things. And they get to a fire scene and they go running in burning buildings and um, we've had after, this book is dedicated to a to a captain who who ran in a building fell through a floor oh. and died uh, with one of her it happened to be a woman captain with one of the other firefighters and they were so much in a hurry to get to the fire they didn't do the safety check which was go around the house and see what's going on in the back because all they saw was smoke coming out the front door well, the whole back was burned out of this house and into the basement. So they walked on a floor that couldn't hold the weight of a hamster and uh, went through and died. That is so and sad. over 100 firefighters die every year falling off fire trucks on the way to the fire. Right. There's, oh, just, yeah. there's just so many issues like that. So this book is to target the fire culture. Right. trying to get right. them to change how they think about fires and saving them so and society thinking about fires what is the name so, of the book again i <clears throat> i can't save you but i'll die trying gotcha it's the american fire culture and what we what we do um is of course we make it available it's on amazon and all all those kinds of things but a lot of fire colleges will will buy it, or state fire chiefs associations or state training officers uh, associations, and and they'll do it for special conferences. So we take their logo and put it on the cover, and then sometimes they get sponsors to buy the books for them. We'll right. name the sponsors inside, or put a letter from from the executive director of the organization or the mayor of the town or whatever. So we can customize the books for them. And that's been a real big selling point. That's good. So we're, um, and I'm pleased to say one group bought enough to donate it to a copy to every member of Congress. Wow. I did not know that. That's awesome. Yep. And the reason for that is are the, some of the laws uh, regarding um, fire issues in this country are just absurd. Uh, one is that firefighters are exempt from wearing seatbelts because the, the thinking is takes two seconds to put a seatbelt on and when you're in a rush, it slows down your response time. Now, a couple of people die here and there, but, right, but they're at losing least you got lives. to the fires two seconds faster. The other one that I think is absolutely absurd, there are 33 states in this country that have laws that prohibit cities from requiring sprinklers in new construction. What? Well, the developers don't like to spend the extra money to put the sprinklers oh, in. I did not. Oh, George, this is very informational. <laughs> this is terrible. And, 
it's it's terrible. Yes. And people are dying as a result. And and the interesting thing about it is most of these states insurance companies give you a break on your insurance, significant break if you have right uh, sprinklers. And and the cost of putting a sprinkler in new construction is is negligible. The sprinkler heads are very inexpensive, and they try to make it through false information, I might add, that if you have a fire and it go out, it ruins everything in the house. The truth of the matter is technology's caught up. If you have a fire and cigarettes left on a couch, the sprinkler close to that will go off, and as soon as it it knows through temperature that the fire's out, it stops, and none of the other sprinklers will go on. So, wow, why it? Yeah. I'm learning a lot just Bert, talking about it. I know you're very passionate about the the firefighters. I did not know the the in depth of the issue here. Well, Bert likes to tell a story about a guy in Connecticut, very very wealthy family that had a $35 million home filled with $50 million worth of art. And they brought him in to look at the plans and everything. And um, he said, where's your sprinklers? And he said, he said uh, no, we can't put sprinklers in there. Water is not good for all these paintings. <laughs> and uh, he said, yeah, but paintings can re be repaired. Ash can't. That's true. And uh, a year later, after the house burned to the ground and he lost $50 million worth of paintings, he called them back and he said, we're going to build this house better this time. And he said, sprinklers? And he said, no, water can hurt paintings. What? And re rebuilt the house and bought, started building art again. Wow. People have notions about fire and uh the other one is i'll hold my breath and run in right you know how many times a minute you breathe right i used to imagine. five right breathe five and if you breathe in toxic gases which every fire produces the first one makes you dizzy the second one might make you pass out but certainly makes you dysfunctional and usually the third or fourth one you pass out, fifth one you're dead. And uh, my question, what made you so passionate about this? Were you, a, did you want to be a firefighter when you were younger? No, I never did. I, okay. And the whole idea of running into a burning building, <laughs> I always found very distasteful. Right. <laughs> but I, at one point, I was the state director of public relations and fire safety education for okay. the Tennessee Department of Insurance. Okay. And I was, uh, we had five offices across the state, and I was going to the Knoxville office just to introduce myself and say hello, meet and, meet and greet kind of thing. And while I was, was there, I got a call that said, there, we're going to introduce you to some of the fire problem and, uh, and gave me an address and it turned out it was right outside the college I graduated from and I was familiar with the area but I went I, I went and pulled into this very rural area 
um, and I could see trucks and that sort of thing and smell uh, the burned flesh and came up to a brick old block house that was painted lime green. It was a small house, about 1,400 square feet. And uh, it turned out it was two bedrooms and um, an attic. And a couple lived there with their two, two boys. They lived in, slept in one bedroom and the boys in the other, separated by a bathroom and a, and a little central hallway. But her, the mom's sister, was living there too. She was separated, and she had two boys. So they put a lad. They cut the ceiling out of an attic. I mean, out of a closet into the attic, and put a stairs there, so they could get up. But all they had up there was low ceilings. They'd put mattresses, and that's where they slept. Mm. But they wanted to celebrate Christmas early, so Thanksgiving weekend they uh, bought a Christmas tree and set it up in front of the 220 space heater in the wall. And sometime during the night, thermostat kicked on, tree caught on fire and yeah. fell in the doorway. Go Black House had those old steel crank windows, you know, that only right. open couple inches wow and uh the father had gotten one of the boys out of his room and the mom for whatever reason decided to get under the bed and they collapsed the, the bed on top of her the mattress and everything and he pounded on, the, on his windows and he actually was able to bend them out and break all the glass, but he pounded so much he had no flesh left on his arms. Oh. And was found in the corner of the room cuddling his son and uh, protecting him from the fire. And uh, when I was there, they were removing the bodies, and you could see the silhouette of this, of this young boy's eyelashes and everything against the white wall and the black black and you know carb from the from the smoke and uh i i just looked at it and i i was just thinking i mean how they how scared they must have been how much pain they were in right the pain and i i the chief walked me around the outside he said if you think that's bad and uh we got to the window on the outside and you know what lapping is that's on the top of a window you see the black smoke makes a mark on the walls right outside walls yeah. well on this lime green you had that dark dark smoke on the outside on the top of the window and on the bottom almost in the same design was this man's blood hmm. dripping from the windowsill to the ground and I just said, how did this happen? And he said, nobody told him. And uh, don't put a Christmas tree in front of a 228er, even if it's cool. Right. I mean, uh, so I I uh, canceled my meeting. I got in my car and I drove home. And I, by the time I got back home, I penciled out a public service campaign on Christmas tree safety. Oh. And checked with the 
officials, and I had worked in the media for, for many years, and by December 1, we had on air, sponsored by the Radio Broadcasters Association, television, and newspapers, we had ads running, or public service announcements running. And uh, for the first time in years, we had no fire deaths in in December from Christmas trees. Well, that's good. You made and, it. Uh, yeah, good. We, yeah, we. It was significant, and uh, and you know, we were just doing what we thought was right. And the next thing we know, we got the NFPA, National Fire Protection Association, has given us an award, and and uh, the governor calls and says. I want George to keep on doing what he's doing. <laughs> right. That's good. So we started working with insurance companies, funding programs, and and uh, and we did make a difference. We made a huge difference in the number of lives saved and property loss damages were way down. And, and then got involved at the National Fire Academy teaching. And, and it, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's a very, very close knit group of people, um, and uh, it, it was some of my best career stuff. We were also asked to write the firemanship's merit badge for the Boy Scouts. Oh, no, really? <laughs> right. So that's important to do. Yeah. So fire. anyway, that's kind that's of way of publishing, but that's what we did. Well, that's a great, you know, segue into like how you, you got your reputation, obviously, and got into started premium press and turned into a marketing company, and then a publisher. And uh, a lot of people during this downtime want to write and publish books. Is there any advice you can give to somebody who is new to this? You know what I'm saying? Do you have any? Patience. Have lots <laughs> of patience. Right. We're both well, in it, but we, I'm in it more of the production aspect, but you're the actual publisher. So. It's, it's um, well, one of the things that we've been, we have not been selling books. In fact, Friday, we got our first order in three months. Wow. And today we got another one from a different distributor. Uh -huh. And uh, I mean, we literally, Amazon bought a few copies of some different titles or were shipped but outside of that we have done zero business and um um i think it's because people so are afraid right is that what it is starting to pick up i yeah. I, I say zero business in terms of selling books what we have done is packaged some books for people gotcha. uh, and these are people that are using them um their speakers um they're they're quality books but um, one's a Civil War reenactor, and he, he's well-known within that uh, genre, and so he has a book, and he can, he can sell to, to those things. And he can sell electronically and through emails and, and snail mail right. to people he knows, even though those, the events are being canceled. Right, that's the and, uh, Yeah, so we're, we're doing that kind of thing. We're, we're starting or have just started a children's color book um, targeting um, young, very young children um, 
and it's called First Supper, and it's an interact interactive book, and it's um, a non-denominational um, story about uh, Joseph and Mary going to the inn and and what meal they were served, and and it has recipes and how you can what foods you could buy and and, and uh, how you can prepare them so that's cool you get up close and personal look at at uh you know what that could have been like um to the best of of you know our knowledge well, so. exactly it's it is it's uh i think it's helpful to have start with kids help them be more creative and to think yep yep exactly and especially with a lot of stay-at-home stuff going on. They need uh, activity, and I think that, like you said, an interactive book would be helpful. Yep. And we were contacted about a year ago uh -huh. uh, from a woman who is uh, a knitter and quite accomplished, and uh, she just wanted to know about if she could get published and control the sale of her book and you know how that would happen and that sort of thing and she said well i'll be back in touch and mm -hmm. well she called over the weekend and said i'm ready and uh it's she knits but she knits the most extraordinary things um raggedy ann and andy's and teddy bears and um different gloves and slippers and but they all are, are you know most of them are for kids and things and um just the most beautiful and fun things but she also gives you know first thing is buy this needle right. <laughs> buy this third you know and step by step by every stitch to go through it and 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 it's kind of a series of how to how to's and uh so that's cool she wants that wants us to put that book together and, and um she also has a children's book that that's going with it so um it, it, things kind of just come up and, right and uh, i think people have more time to think of sure something creative so if someone wants to reach out to you how do they find you i know your your company is premium press america how do they reach out to you george just the best way would be george at premium press america.com that's perfect we and, answer everything <laughs> and what i'll do is as everyone knows when i at the summary of this podcast discussion i'll have that email address in there as well so then people hopefully we're inspiring them uh, you have a great background, great story, and hopefully we'll inspire them if they want to do a book to reach out to George, right? That'd be great. <laughs> and if some people just need advice, we give free advice. Yes, I love that. Free advice, right, about publishing. That is so critical. People are so interested in it now, and they're so, we want to make sure, you know, you've got a lot of experience. So yep. Help. The last thing I would remind people, don't bring us books already printed. Right, exactly. It, that's it, that's a good point. Already, too. it happens, and, and inevitably, you, you know, you'll go, "Well, where's your husband? What's that?" <laughs> you know, and yeah. it's just we've had too many disasters like that. It was just just terrible. 
that's the waste that can happen if you yeah. don't have the right advice. And that's why they go to someone like you for your expert advice and they come to me to help with the production. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I, exactly. I appreciate your time, George. And I'm, and, um, it's so, so nice to talk to you again. Well, thank you for asking. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Been fun. All right. All righty. Bye-bye. I appreciate your time and I thank you for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast or leave a comment. Now go have a great day.